You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. And let me invite you to sit down. I'm Liz Lee, I'm one of your elders, um, and I'm going to read the teaching text over us today. But first, let me invite you to just get comfortable. Let's like center ourselves, take a, take a couple deep breaths, um, or close your eyes, or whatever it takes. Okay. Isaiah 11, six through nine. The wolf will live with the lamb, The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So good to hear you. I kind of went a little hard on worship, so uh, we'll see how this voice holds up. Um, Just want to give a quick reminder. We are in this series, Lions and Lambs, which is a framework for reconciliation. And... uh, I just want to also tell you that, you know, as we're going through this, if there are things that you may have questions about or something you're like, well, that doesn't quite sit right or something you'd love to have a little more info or something expounded on, uh, we do have this like QR code. You can snap it. It'll be up at the end. But that's just a form where you can just send out any questions uh, that you may have, thoughts, anything you want. And then as a pastoral team, we'll, we'll be following up, whether specifically or in some kind of large format setting. So please avail yourself of that if you need it. Now, uh, as I said, we are continuing our exploration of this framework of reconciliation. Uh, We took a break last week to join in on our city's uh, marathon. But if you remember, before that, we defined reconciliation as this, a forward movement towards the former harmonious relationships of all creation. The work of the Father established in the Son, administered by the Spirit. So this framework, often, especially in our current cultural context, when we talk about reconciliation, uh, that's often typically in the arena of race, uh, and that essentially does fall under what we're covering. But what we want to look at is a reconciliation that's intersectional, you know, a reconciliation that covers race, a a reconciliation that covers uh, gender, a reconciliation that covers orientation, a reconciliation that covers the internal hurt and damage that we've done to ourselves. Uh, There has to be a framework but which God has given his people to be made whole. So that's what we're exploring. And we're saying that this framework is grounded in a twofold path. So you have both the victimizer and the victim, the offender and the offended, the lion and the lamb. They're each on a path of reconciliation, but they have different stops along the way. 
And what they are primarily being reconciled to, if you remember that first and second week, we said that when you look throughout Scripture, the testimony of reconciliation isn't ever really like you to me, but it's always about all things to Christ. And so even at times when the void stands between us, God, Christ, calls us to him, and we all meet there, and then he mediates a peace among us. He calls forward a unity that defines us. Now, we talked about how the first, the first place for both of these paths, lion and the lamb, starts with conviction, and that conviction, remember, is the recognition of the brokenness of an act belief, situation, or relationship in view of God's wholeness. We talked about Psalm 84, how all of this flows from the presence of God, right? And so it's in view of his holy temple, in view of his wholeness and holiness that we can recognize, you know, that's, that's not quite right, how you just did me. That becomes the standard. He is the standard by which we can label things right or wrong. And then he moves us forward. Right? So out of that conviction, we move into a place of lament, but this lament has different shades for the lion and the lamb. And so about three weeks ago, we talked about lament, reminding you that that is the holistic. So we mean this is a biological, psychological, and a spiritual process of human response to the pain and trauma we have wrought and received, those things we have done and those things that have been done for us. So lament is this, this, this kind of that, that, that thing that comes out of us when we are hurt. It is us naming the pain that we can recognize in view of God's wholeness. And for the lamb, this leads us into examination. Examination is that process by which we just locate God and ourselves in the progress of reconciliation. We talked about sometimes in this process of reconciliation, God calls us in the midst of the trauma that we're facing to stay put, but we do so with, with the regaining of the lost agency from the offense, right? So now in view of God and in light of, of where he is calling me, I can continue to stand in this place that is hurting me, and enduring, just as Christ endured death on a cross for us. But there are other times where he calls us to leave, and much like the Israelites fleeing the oppression of Egypt, we recognize that God calls us out of this oppression, uh, and so then we have to be ready, trusting in his provision and in his plan. This is the progress that carries us forward. But in all this, I hope you catch what is happening in the kind of meta look of this progress and this process. What's happening is that reconciliation is this process that's moving from the inside out. Okay, it moves from the inside out. I'm found in God, I establish myself in him, and then I, that means I have to do something with you. How does this reconciliation move towards the others? There's this passage, 1 John 4. Since this, John writes, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his, his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. Catch this, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. John, a little later, goes back. So we have this, this, this start of this love for us. God has loved me. And then in verse 19, John says, in light of this, we love because he first loved us. 
Though whoever claims to love God and hates his brother or sister, well, they're a liar. Because you can't love your brother, you, you, you can't love your brother or sister who you've seen and cannot love God who you, you, you haven't seen. You need this love of God that allows you to be able to effectively love those around you. Verse 21, and he has given us his command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So you can't take people without God and you can't take God without people. It's a cyclical process by which we find ourselves in God that calls us forward with peace and reconciliation towards the other. But to stay there, we're going to need to go back to God and then we go back to people, back to God and back to people, so on and so forth. So reconciliation well, reconciliation emerges from Christ. And then it becomes embodied in us. We become reconciled to ourselves. And then it is expressed towards others. And this outward expression, that's what we're going to talk about today. This is the next step in this journey for the Lamb. That out of that conviction and that lament that leads into examination, well, then this leads us to the outward expression of that, which is forgiveness and boundaries. Forgiveness and boundaries. This is what we are going to be wrestling with today. I am defining forgiveness as this. Embracing and giving notice of the holistic freedom from a former offense and its later effects. Embracing and giving notice of the holistic freedom from a former offense and its layered effects. One thing I just want you to see, that embracing and giving, that present continuous tense, it means that embracing, it's going, it's happening now and it continues forward, right? So we don't ever just, we don't ever just like, oh, forgive and forget. We forgive because we can't forget. And so I walk forward embracing and giving notice that I am free from this offense and all the ways that it's harmed me. What does this look like? There's this story, uh, if you've been around church a long time, you've definitely heard it. If you haven't, uh, it's about a man named Joseph. And the thing you have to know about Joseph is, is you know, you, maybe you've heard this on like Father Israel, I had many sons, all right? And so Jacob, Father Israel, he's, he's this carrier of the promise that God has given to the Israelite people that he is going to multiply them and by them bring hope and love and reconciliation to the world. And so Israel, up until this point, he's been like, you know, this family that's supposed to become a huge family. Well, they're not having a lot of kids to keep up with that. Uh, and so, but he, he does the heavy lifting. So he ends up having 12 sons. But uh, first he has, he has 10, of which of, of the, or 11, of these 11, Joseph was the youngest, right? Joseph was kind of a, a dweeb, but his brothers, uh, his brothers had a problem with Joseph because one, Joseph was his father's favorite, okay, um, as a favorite child, uh, <laughs> and this is verified. My mother, um, in her bluntness, uh, lets the other ones know. Um, I'm the only boy. I'm the oldest. You know, it just is what it is. Uh, unlike Joseph, though, I, I did not see my favoritism as something to be flaunted, just like slyly used and manipulated. Um, but Joseph was of the ilk that he had to own his favoritism, right? And so his dad gives him this beautiful multicolored coat. And Joseph's like, I'm a stun on him. And so he puts on his coat and he's showing around his brothers. And then he has these dreams. Joseph is a dreamer. 
And he has these dreams where like he's this this like this this bright and shining star and all these other celestial bodies are like bending towards him and those other bodies are his brothers. And then he's like this all these this this wheat and he's like the tallest one and all the other ones lean towards him and basically he's like if you don't get it uh bow down to me. Uh I'm kind of a big deal. And you can imagine how this goes over with siblings. Um not well. Not well. So one day they are out uh, tending to the flock and, and Joseph being the youngest is sent by his father just to go check up on them. So they see Joseph coming from a ways off and these brothers, well, they just, they've, they've had enough, frankly. So they make a plan and they're like, you know what? Let's just kill him. I don't know if I went like that far, uh, but they went zero to a hundred. Let's kill him. Uh, but one of the, some of the older brothers was like, no, 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 let's not kill him. Like, that's, you know, that's a little extra. Let's dial it back here. There's a hole here. We can just throw him in this hole. How about that? So like, great. Okay, we'll throw him in the hole. So they throw him in a hole. And then they're sitting there, and they're still kind of, uh, I don't know if this feels quite good enough, when they see this caravan uh, of, of migrant travelers. And they're like, you know what? Why kill him? We can make money. So they take their brother and they sell them to this passing caravan. So this favorite child, uh, this, this golden brother, is now a slave. His other ten brothers are somewhat rich and they go on about their day. The scriptures, and this is you know Genesis uh, 20, we see that Joseph takes his caravan and he's eventually taken to Egypt and he's, and he's sold. These, 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 these travelers, they sell him to this, this rich man named Potiphar. And so Joseph becomes a servant in this household. And, uh, we don't know much about that time other than like he was a really good worker and he found a lot of favor. It seemed like, every, it seemed like everyone just kind of liked Joseph except for his brothers. Um, and so in this house, he, he becomes one of the top slaves. He becomes his like master's like right-hand man. The problem is everyone really does like Joseph, including the boss's wife. She particularly finds Joseph very appealing. And so she sets off on this plan to kind of, you know, have her cake and eat it too. And she wants to have Joseph uh, for herself and Joseph, being a man of integrity, is like, I just I can't do it. I can't do it. So this back and forth where she calls him into these compromising positions, and he runs. And there's one time she calls him in, and as he flees, he leaves his garment. He's like out of there. She kind of snatches it, and he's out. And she realizes, like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm kind of over this. I don't like this impropriety, you know. Maybe he makes this big fuss. And so she runs out and she says, hey, look, Joseph tried to take advantage of me. And when the master comes home that night, she says, yeah, that servant who you love, yeah, he, he tried to assault me. This master, I mean, could you imagine the offense, the slave that you've treated like a family member to, to act in such a way to violate the sanctimony of your house? He has no choice. But even in this, he has some measure of grace because he could have been off with his head, but instead he throws him into a prison dungeon. 
So now the golden child becomes the brother in a hole, becomes a slave, becomes a prisoner. And again, Joseph lives his life, and again, people just really take to him. So the warden of prison, he just like, he loves Joseph, and again, he just, he ends up empowering Joseph to become the head of over all the prisoners. He's kind of this, like the, the, the again, the, like the first and foremost, the golden child once again. And one day, these, these two characters, they end up in the cell with Joseph. Uh, there's a, a cupbearer, and there's a baker. Both belong in service to the and they have found themselves in prison. And one day they both have dreams. And they say they come and Joseph is checking on them because they're really troubled by these dreams. And Joseph asks, and essentially these dreams are kind of foreboding. But Joseph in his interpretations, because remember, he's a dreamer, right? He says, oh, let me tell you what those mean. Well, uh, cupbearer, really great news. Uh, you're going to be here for a little while, but then the king's going to call you out and you're going to return to your position. So just hold on. Uh, Baker, you might want to sit. Um, it's not good for you, man. Like, <laughs> you're not going to get out of here. You're going to die. Sure enough, Cupbearer is taken back into service. The scriptures say that the baker was impaled by the king for his offense. Two years passes. <clears throat> the cupbearer forgets. <clears throat> and then one day, the king has these dreams about cows, and some are skinny and some are fat, and he doesn't know what these things mean. And none of these guys that he pays a lot of money to tell them about dreams, none of them seem to know. And so he's just kind of exasperated. And this cupbearer goes, oh, you know what? I know a guy. There's a guy. He told me a dream. You should go talk to him. Joseph is taken out of this prison and he goes before the king and the king tells him the dream and Joseph interprets it for him. He's like, well, basically what's going to happen is we're about to hit a major famine, right? We're going to have seven really good years and we're going to have seven bad years of famine. And so here's what we really need to do. You need to prepare for this coming famine so that we can survive it. And so the king's like, oh man, that makes so much sense. You know what? You'd be kind of handy to have around. So he doesn't throw him back in prison. He puts him in service. And next thing you know, Joseph rises to second in command to the largest nation in the world. Golden child becomes a slave, becomes a prisoner, becomes a prince. What's interesting is throughout the whole story, we don't ever really get anything about how Joseph is feeling about how he got there. Because like, He didn't hit his head. He remembered who he was. Like he knew where home was. And he knew that his brothers threw him in a hole and left him for dead. And he carried that with him. And the scriptures don't say much until it gives us this insight. It's in Genesis 41. So Joseph is now a prince, second in command of of Egypt, and he uh, gets a wife, and he has two sons. The scriptures say, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath's daughter, a part of, I don't know, I'm not even going to say it. Uh, <clears throat> she was the daughter of a priestess, okay? Uh, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. 
That's a very like short interpretation of what that name means. And we don't have the time to go fully in depth into it, but let me give you just a little bit more about that name Manasseh and why it's so important and why it gives us insight to what Joseph has been doing with this hurt, with this, with this, with this, offense he has suffered over these years. Well, the name Manasseh, the, the, the root of it, this verb, if you remember uh, Hebrew, Semitic language, it's a concrete language. So it starts with something very, very precise and grounded in the real world. And then you add ab- abstractions come on top of that. So compassion is literally the root of it is like the, the womb, Okay, and so the abstraction becomes like to be compassionate is to like have a, a move towards the others in your gut, something that's birthing forth life. You understand what I'm saying? And so for Manasseh, the, the verb, the root of it, it has two connotations that are rooted in the real world. The one is this. One of it is the picture of, of water evaporating by the sun, like slowly drying up and being drawn off. The other is a financial view. And what it means is how a principle is overwhelmed by the interest it incurs. So again, it's just kind of like what's, what's there gets, gets kind of overridden, gets, gets sucked away, right? And this, and this financial principle, uh, that's actually a, a pretty big deal for us. Basically, one way of, of thinking about Manasseh, it means, it means from a debt, Right? In the verb, it actually is a present continuous. So it means that like, this is slowly over time happening and will continue to happen. Right? God is, is bringing me from a debt. From this we see that Joseph is still carrying the debt his brothers have incurred with him. He's been holding on to it, but that pain and the offense, what's been happening is that over time, that God's been making deposits in him, so much so that the interest that God has been, that God has been, been adding on to that principle has overwhelmed the principle. So David is no longer even holding on to that principle offense, but he has become richer off the interest that God has paid on it. He knows the debt's there, but it's really been paid. He goes on because he has a second son. Verse 52, it says, the second son he named Ephraim and said it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Fruitful in the land of my suffering. So again, these two verbs. One is one is to like bear fruit. It's the idea of a of a of a of a vine bringing forth fruit. The other the other root of that of that name is ash, right? And so you have like lush grapes and ash together, and it means to be like doubly fruitful but exhausted. When we look at these names, we see this testimony from Joseph that God has overridden the initial offense slowly and is overriding it. So I recognize the blessing. I've been doubly paid from the offense, right? 
but I carry this pain with me. It's just a part of who I am now. I forgive because I can't forget. It's interesting that we have this, this, this monetary language for forgiveness because outside of the salvific framework, the, the, the Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, primarily forgiveness is seen in the Bible through a financial paradigm, the forgiving of debts. And the thing is, when you think about it, every conflict that we, that we experience, it incurs a debt. Take something from you. Someone calls you out of your name. It takes something from you. When someone steals from you, it, it takes something from you. But here's the thing about that debt. Each debt will be satisfied. It has no choice if you think about it. Each debt that we incur will be paid, but the question becomes by whom? Because the debt will either be satisfied by the one who caused it or it will be satisfied by the one who received it. They will have to absorb it. Or it's satisfied by a third party. But each debt, yeah, it gets satisfied. Joseph lost his chance to be fruitful under his father's house. He had such tremendous gifts of organization, administration. We've seen him run a, a master's house, a prison, and now a nation. Imagine what could he have done with the flocks of his father. He never got the opportunity. But God makes him fruitful in Egypt. Yeah, you, were, you maybe were supposed to be the chief shepherd but you've been a shepherd now of a nation. You've been doubly paid. But his brothers still owe a debt, and God has been paying it over time. Turns out that the scripture tells us that Jesus overpays all debts. He doesn't just satisfy them, but he overpays them. Think of it this way. You come in, Someone has, 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 has wrecked, you know, that valuable, that valuable resource in your life, that, that, that vase you've had that was grandma's vase and someone's come in and knocked it over and then comes Jesus and he says, hey, here, here's my card. I'm, I'm not even going to re replace the vase. Here, here's, here's a blank check. Here's a, a checkbook, right? Replace the vase and then if you realize it's something else, you know, if you realize like, oh, well, it actually, when it fell, it damaged my carpet. Replace the carpet, too. Keep replacing it. The scriptures call this propitiation. It's a very big word that just means that Jesus' payment satisfies over and above. This is what, what John is talking about in that passage we read earlier in 1 John 4. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. In Hebrews, later in Paul, it, says, it uses that word propitiation, this overpayment 
for our sins. There's this, uh, Matthew 18, there's just this, these couple of verses, Jesus tells this parable, basically this, 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 this master has a servant who owes him, the scripture says, uh, it's essentially like 20,000 times a year's salary. I don't know how you incur a debt that big. But Jesus is being hyperbolic. This guy pays more than he could ever in 20 lifetimes, 20,000 lifetimes pay back, right? And he comes and then the master forgives him and then he forgives the debt. He says, I will take it in myself. And he sends that guy out and that guy has, a, has somebody who owes him a day's worth of work. What does that guy do? Grabs him by the neck. He says, pay me my money. The guy's like, I just need some time. He's like, you know what? No. And he throws him in prison. Jesus talks about how, you know, he's using this to illustrate, like, I've I've forgiven you, and you have to do the same for others, right? Because when you think about it, this man, he, he has incurred, if the debts were real, if he had borrowed this much money from his master, right, you, can't, that's, you, you would need 20,000 lifetimes to spend it. So clearly, he's still got some of it. He's still got the things he bought with it. He is a very rich man. So when the debt is forgiven, he's not going back to where he was before he borrowed the debt. He's staying rich. Rich, rich. Like, Bezos looks like me rich. Like, like, like he, is, he is way past rich. So when he comes to a guy... To, to, bar, to, to shake him down for a day's worth of work? It's like, what are you doing? You just got overpaid. But it's not about the money, is it? Think about it. Matthew 18, he says, says that he throws the man in jail. You know who can't pay you back? People in jail. If he wanted the money, he would have put the guy in a plan. He would have put him to work. He'd have stood at his payday and be like, I'll take that. It wasn't about the money. He wanted the punishment. Because here's the thing, we talk about forgiveness. So if it is true that every debt is satisfied and it turns out that Jesus is overpaid for every debt, but here's the thing. I could, you could cause a debt with me that Jesus pays. But if he sends me the check and I never cash it, I still have the debt. My bank is still overdraft. I got, I got plenty of money to go pay it, but I've never received it. Because maybe I don't want the money. I was talking to Gemma a few weeks ago and she's, going through this, this master's program, because uh, this woman is incredible. Uh, four kids, uh, an associate pastor, and, you know, just doing a master's. It is what it is. Flex on them. Um, but she was telling me that in her classes and in a conversation with a friend, she had these two things come up, and it just, like, changed the game. I love it when I'm preaching, and I'm like, I need this, and write it down. Uh, one was this. She was talking with a friend who was thinking about resentment. And as a Spanish speaker, she said, I don't consider myself a, a resentful person until she realized like, oh, in Spanish, that word means resentir. 
It means, I probably said that wrong, forgive me. Um, it means to refill, to feel again. Actually, that's the etymology of the root word of, 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 of the word resent. It comes from the French and the Latin. It means to, to re again, sentir, to feel. So to resent something is to feel it again. I've been hurt and I keep thinking about it. And so I'm holding on to it. I'd rather have the debt than the payment. Why? I love this some of that. As she was sitting with her class, her, 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 her professors was talking about this, this idea of, of resentfulness and forgiveness and unforgiveness being like this cold, this cold war in our hearts where we, what we don't want is payment, but what we're holding on to is unfulfilled revenge. If I cash this check, then I got to free them. If I accept your payment, then I have to take off the lien. But I want to take his house and leave him in the cold. There's this moment in Joseph's story. Eventually, the famine comes. His brothers, uh, they are on the receiving end of this famine. They're, they're, they're lacking resources. And so they come to Egypt because they feel they can buy grain. And so they come with, with what they can buy, and, and they come before the guy who controls all the things. Turns out it's their brother. But they don't remember that. Why should they? They threw him in a hole. Why would he be the prince of like Egypt? And he calls them in and he, and he does this thing where he sees that they don't recognize him and they tell him that he has a brother. And, and I should say, uh, Joseph is one of 12. His 10 brothers are half brothers. They were by, his, his dad had two wives. One he really loved. The other he got like tricked, Jerry Springer into marrying. Um, and so those 10 brothers are from the other mom, but his mom, he was the only child until after he was gone, there was one more child, his son Benjamin. And so Joseph has this full brother that he's never known about. And so when hearing about this, he wants to see this brother. And so he tells his brothers to go back and get the younger one and bring him here. And they're like, oh, I don't know. He's like, come on, do it. And I, will, and I will give you all the grain that you need. And so they kind of have to. So they go and they take the brother with, their dad just really not liking this idea. They come back. Joseph says, great, good to, good to see all of you. Actually, the scriptures say that he goes into a room when he sees his brother and he weeps. He weeps and he like, and it says he washes his face. He just washes his face and he goes back out. And, uh, and so he, he loads up their, their, their donkeys and, and he sends them out with all more than the grain that they need to carry their people. Uh, but then he takes a cup and he like sticks it into the bag of the younger one, his, his younger brother. So he sends them off. Uh, and then he sends his, his men to go catch them as they get down the road. And he essentially accuses them of stealing. Uh, and so they say, no, 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 we definitely did not do it. We promise. If we did, kill whoever has got it. They don't know that like they kind of did, but they didn't. And so when they realize that, oh, it's their younger brother, their father's only other like, Son from the wife he loved, they're like, oh no. 
They're, they're just like overwhelmed. And one of the brothers is just like, no, take me instead, right? And so there's this moment where Joseph is realizing that his brothers have changed, right? They're no longer about their own uh, wealth, their own coming ahead. They don't hold this other brother in the disregard they held him. And so in this moment, he reveals himself. But I stop here because this is a pivotal moment when we talk about forgiveness. I don't know if it's on the screen, but I'll read it and we'll go into it. It says, Genesis 45 says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Going down to verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but the Lord. Joseph's got this new perspective, but he's got something more. He has made a choice. There's this moment. There's a moment in this journey of reconciliation where there's a grand reversal. We'll talk next week about the lion, but for the lamb, do you see it? There's this moment where you've got all the cards. You've hurt me. Everybody knows it. I got some leverage in this relationship, and somehow I'm going to hold it over you. I'm going to find a way to get that revenge. Even if it's like just in my gut, I'm going to keep drinking this poison, and one of these days you're going to die. There's a chance to use the oppressor's tools. The lion gets the opportunity to, the lamb gets the opportunity to be like the lion. I will lord over you. I will devour. There's this rapper I love, Show Baraka, and he has this, this line, do I really want peace or do I want power so I can try it? So there's this moment where we're tested and if it comes of the lamb, what will you do? You pick up the oppressor's tools. Or will you stand in the fullness of the agency that the Lord has brought you to? Will you be the strong lamb? You don't need to be the lion learning and perpetuating a cycle of violence. But you can lay it down and be meek. I think that's why Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. So they lay down this quest for unfulfilled revenge. They cast the check that Jesus has written. They receive the wholeness that he provides. And the lamb is now free from the offense. They've been made whole. They've been made whole. And so forgiveness now is just me serving notice to you that You don't even know me anything. I've already been made whole. But you have to be made whole first. This is why sometimes when when we see on TV and stuff, when we offer forgiveness too fast, it seems hollow. So how can you be made whole when the check you you hadn't even cleared? You don't know if you're whole yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, like just because you kind of like summed up the courage, you're like, I'm going to throw out these words, I forgive you. But have you done the process of actually receiving the payment? 
Have you let the check clear? That's when you send notice of a removal of a lien. So when we walk through that process and we receive from the Lord his wholeness as a lamb, when he undoes all the lies that your slander caused to me, well, then now I can just let you know if I need to that like, yeah, I'm good. I don't, your words don't hold that power over me anymore. And so in this place, forgiveness leads us to boundaries. Boundaries we are defining as this, the necessary conditions and parameters of relating. This, this is, as I read it, way heady. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me say it like this. Boundaries are the intentional structures we put in place in a relationship that allow that relationship to flourish. The intentional structures we put in a relationship that allows that relationship to flourish. And what I mean by that is in reconciliation, you can never go back to what it was before. You can never go back to before she cheated on you. You can never rewind the clock until before he called you that name. You can never undo that thing that you've done, that you've been holding on to. But we can go forward in health. But it needs a little help. So growing tomatoes, you need to put a trellis that allows it to grow, right? For growing a vineyard, you, you want to put out this trellis so the vines can grow and the grapes don't just land on the ground to be raided by foxes. There's a very biblical understanding of putting in necessary ways of relating. Proverbs 4, 14, 23, says, don't set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Above all else, guard your heart from everything you do flows from it. There's a call to be intentional about the ways in which we relate to people. Proverbs 26, 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly or yourself would be just like him. When I'm dealing with fools, I got to kind of keep it in its place. What about Jesus? John 2, 20, 23, 25 says this. This is right when Jesus is coming into the fullness of his, of his ministry. He says Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. People saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not entrust himself to them. There were certain boundaries he placed even with people he had compassion towards. In our teaching text, Isaiah 11 and 8, I love this. It says that the infant will play near the cobra's den. There's some distance there. There's some boundaries there. But now again, there's a difference in walls that we've put up as punishment towards people 
to remind them as signposts that they aren't welcomed here, as opposed to a fence that just protects the scarlet. There's something sensitive growing here. I want to make sure that you know the ways in which you can go and how we can relate. It's a very healthy thing. Band's going to come up. We're going to we're going to move forward in our in our response, and, and I feel like the response. Uh, I was just sitting with the Lord. There were just two things that I felt the need to highlight. One, I felt like uh, the Lord wanted me to highlight today this reconciliation. Like it's got to be embodied. Like I just feel like maybe some of us are carrying some conflict with ourselves. We've got that unfulfilled revenge towards ourselves. Why did you do that? We, we've, hold our, we've, we've held ourselves against the wall. And we won't receive the forgiveness. We know what Jesus says about us. But I'd rather make myself be punished than to receive his good grace. I just feel like if that's you, the Lord is saying like, Beloved, today is a day you could be made whole. Second invitation, somewhat similar to the first, but in this, maybe you've been struggling with the fence and, and, and you've been like trying to muster up this forgiveness in and of yourself and out of your own power and it ain't, it's not working because honestly you just have a limited bank account <laughs> you've got a limited emotional energy you make and write a check that covers how the offense feels today but then tomorrow like you're late for work and then you just don't have the emotional energy and you're back in that place of resentfulness but there is an offer from the Lord being dwelled by his spirit to know his goodness in your life so that you can live and walk in that place. And so I feel very clearly to give an invitation to some of you who may have just been trying to move through life on your own and to just say that there's a God who wants, who wants to empower you. He wants to clear the liens over your life. But to do that, you've got to make a definitive choice that you will follow him. That you will receive the payment that he gave on the cross. That's what the scripture tells us. Jesus died on a cross so that we could be freed from all the ways we keep making a mess of our life. So here's what I like to do. This is maybe a little awkward, but forget it. I mean, like, let's get receive the healing of the Lord. If any of that resonates with you as an invitation, this forgiveness of self or receiving receiving the forgiveness of the Lord, the Lord, receiving that love we talked about, that love by which we then express towards others, would you stand in this moment? It takes a lot of courage. 
takes a lot of courage. I acknowledge that. I honor, I honor your courage. I honor your willingness. Just be truthful. May God bless you and your courage to admit that you have a debt. I'm going to ask the members of our prayer team to kind of present yourself. I just want to make sure that someone prays for you today. You guys can start moving now. Just keep saying it, keep saying it, this is you, because we're going to pray for you, so we got to know who you are. Maybe our staff, maybe some of our trusted leaders, you can just grab someone. invitation and response. We're going to keep covering these people for prayer. If you need prayer, you can just come, like, to the front and, like, to the sides on this, like, right by the rugs so we can make sure we pray for you today. But let today be the day of receiving the overpayment of the Lord, okay? 